Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, November 14th, 2022. It's been 3,183 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 264 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, our assessment that Ukrainian forces would discover atrocities and war crimes in western Kherson was regrettably accurate, and we maintain there will be significant discoveries in the coming week. Second, we assess that the slowdown in combat operations on multiple axes is a mirage, with intense fighting creating little progress. Both belligerents have significant military assets they can reallocate to new axes. Third, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Fourth, we maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Fifth, We maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing renewed unrest inside and outside the Kremlin. If there continue to be military failures, there is a remote chance Russia could face a regime change. Sixth, we maintain that the Russian Navy's presence in the Black Sea has become irrelevant, with missile carriers reluctant to patrol beyond the immediate coast of Sevastopol. Seventh, We maintain that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue across Ukraine, despite the significantly reduced number of attacks over the last week. Eighth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Ninth, we assess it is likely that the Russian Ministry of Defense will concentrate its available firepower on a small area but will likely return to a combat-destroyed state after making marginal gains that they won't be able to leverage into a strategic victory. Tenth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Eleventh, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, We maintain that Russian forces in Belarus remain a credible threat for an invasion of western Ukraine, but we now assess the possibility has pushed further out to the next 55 to 85 days. Let's get some regional updates and, as it's a Monday, check in with both belligerent objectives, starting with Kherson and Zaporizhia. 
The Russian objective is to prevent Ukrainian offensives into Kherson and Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. Ukrainian forces continue to work on stabilization efforts on the west bank of the Dnipro to re-establish basic services, demine the region, and distribute humanitarian aid. Cellular phone operators Kyivstar and Vodafone have restored service to large parts of the city. Kyivstar set up 4G service in the city center, while Vodafone reports their engineers almost fully rebuilt their network in 18 hours. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky toured the liberated city of Kherson with other government officials. Bodies of Russian soldiers who drowned trying to cross the Dnipro during the retreat have started washing up on the shores of both sides of the river. There will likely be more in the coming days as the natural decomposition process starts to cause some corpses to float to the surface. On the east bank of the Dnipro, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that most Russian troops withdrew from Kohovka, Tavrieska, and Novokohovka. The Russian-occupied town of Kyiri was attacked, destroying an ammunition depot and killing up to 40 Russian troops. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that Ukrainian aviation carried out four airstrikes east of the Dnipro, but did not specify the targets or results of the attacks. There were social media reports based on a black video with the sound of gunfire that Ukrainian forces had crossed the Dnipro and were in Holopristan. In our assessment, these reports were entirely baseless. Six journalists with United States news agency CNN and British agency Sky News had their accreditation to report from Ukraine revoked after violating operational security and reporting from Kherson without permission from the Ukrainian armed forces. The impacted journalists have not been named, and an unconfirmed report is that an Italian journalist also had their accreditation revoked. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP, and there has still been no update on the employee kidnapped by Russian forces over five weeks ago. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, has not issued a press release about ZNPP since November 11th, and Enerhoadam has not released a statement since November 10th. As the saying goes, no news is good news. Russian forces that retreated from Kherson are being redeployed to Melitopol, with partisans reporting the city is being turned into a fortress. Russian forces are also building up in Tokmak, with both cities well within the range of Ukrainian HIMARS and Mars-2 Guided Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or GMLRS. There was scattered artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola, to Orekhiv, to Mali Sherbaki. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. 
The Russian Ministry of Defense reported continued fighting in Pavlivka and claimed that Ukrainian forces could not re-establish lost positions on the southeast edge of the town. Video from November 12th showed Ukrainian forces destroying a Russian armored column outside the city. Russian mill bloggers reported continued fighting east of Novomikhailivka. There continues to be no change in the situation. Positional fighting continued in the eastern part of Marinka, with, again, no change to the situation. Russian sources reported renewed fighting on the eastern edge of Krasnohorivka in an attempt to flank Marinka from the north. The maneuver was unsuccessful. Russian sources reported continued positional fighting near Nevelske and the eastern edge of Pervomaiske, with no change in the situation. Russian claims that its forces captured Opitna were walked back, with mill bloggers reporting, quote, mop-up operations were ongoing. We received two reliable reports from the region that the situation for Ukraine west and north of the international airport in Vesele is better than Russian sources are reporting. The GSAFU reported fighting near Vodyana, which was echoed by Russian sources. The Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, People's Militia Public Relations Channel, claimed their forces destroyed two self-propelled howitzers, one S-21 Grad Rocket Multiple Launch Rocket System, or MLRS, six tanks, and 18 units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. And no, they did not provide evidence. Those losses would result in a combined arms battalion being combat-destroyed. It seems highly unlikely that losses of this size would have occurred without video evidence and reporting by Russian state media. Additionally, the intensity of fighting along the front just does not align with the reported losses. Ukrainian forces executed 137 fire missions on the occupied territories. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut Solidar. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar, push into the Luhansk oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. Fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, led by the private military company or PMC Wagner Group, continued. The settlement remains a no-man's land. We coded Mikulaivka as under Russian control due to a lack of reports of fighting by either belligerent and the repeated reports of fighting in Spirna, the Bilohorivka I just mentioned, and Berestova. All three of those settlements are west of Mikulaivka. Russian sources reported continued intense fighting east and southeast of Bakhmut. There were unsubstantiated claims of incremental gains. It is more likely that both belligerents are exchanging strong points on the E-40 highway and swapping trenches while engaged in attritional warfare. Losses for PMC Wagner continue to be reported as massive. Ukrainian forces successfully repelled an attack on Kurdyumivka, according to the GSAFU. The Russian Ministry of Defense and a reliable Ukrainian source stated that Mayorsk had fallen and was under Russian control after three months of fighting. Moving on to Luhansk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. 
Russian and Ukrainian sources reported mutual fighting in Stelmakivka. The Russian MOD reported continued fighting in Novoselivske. The GSAFU reported the liberation of Makivka in alignment with the higher bar they've set before declaring a settlement is under Ukrainian control. Graphic videos recorded from drones showed massive Russian losses due to fragmentation rounds. We maintain our assessment that Ukrainian forces will not attack Svatva or Kremina head-on and will opt instead to attempt to bypass, create a technical encirclement, and force a retreat. The GSAFU and Russian mill bloggers reported continued fighting on the eastern edge of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with Russian forces claiming, again, that PMC Wagner had made some progress entering parts of the town. Although we had increased faith in the reports from mercenaries with Wargonzo during October, their exaggerated reports over the last week from Pavlivka and Opitna have made their claims suspect again. Ukrainian officials countered the report, but stated that attacks on the town have been, quote, relentless. There were social media reports and pictures of a rocket attack, likely fired by HIMARS, on Russian-occupied Luhansk. Serhii Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, confirmed the attack, but did not provide additional details. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to the Cherniev, Kharkiv and Sumy region. The Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast, maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. Russian sources claimed a DRG group crossed into Ukraine near Ternova and returned after a successful sabotage mission. They did not provide any additional details. Kharkiv was struck by three S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. The missiles hit a factory in the Industrialny district during the overnight hours. There were no reported injuries. Dmitry Zhvitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Romadas of Shalekhin, Snobnovhorodsk, Khotin, Bilopilia, Yunakivka and Krasnopilia were hammered by Russian artillery, mortar units and helicopters resulting in over 250 strikes along the Ukraine-Russia border. It was the largest single-day barrage in over a month. Khotin and Bilopilia reported damage, with one home impacted in Khotin and three destroyed in Bilopilia. The power was knocked out in some border settlements due to damaged power lines. There were no casualties reported. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, There were no missile carriers on patrol in the Black Sea, with the Russian Navy remaining reluctant to leave the shoreline of Russian-occupied Crimea. Grad rockets fired by MLRS and launched from the Kinburn Spit struck Ochakiv. Russian social media users claimed that Ukrainian troops had made an amphibious landing on the Kinburn Spit near Heroiske and later claimed that Ukraine had captured the town. We dismissed the claim on our Twitter account during the day, which was met with skepticism. 
Russian military sources claim there was no fighting on the spit due to a, quote, lack of presence of Ukrainian forces, end quote. Some assessment here. The Russian obsession that Ukraine will or has made an amphibious attack had gasoline thrown on it by the armed forces of Ukraine, which released a cryptic video of patrol boats with special forces troops admiring the view from the Dnipro River. We were skeptical of the reports because, historically, Russian social media users have intentionally or unintentionally overstated Ukrainian gains after suffering a major defeat. After the fall of Izum, panicked social media accounts claimed Ukraine had captured Lyman and Kremina and advanced into parts of Lysychansk. None of those reports were true. It makes no military sense for any belligerent to make an unsupported amphibious landing, and Ukrainian forces would have no viable way to support and supply troops on the Kinburn Spit, which would be isolated and exposed to direct attack from Russian-occupied Crimea. It is possible that Ukrainian special operation forces were on the spit, but they've been operating in that area throughout the war. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services, and to break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. Russian forces continued to fire grad rockets on the Hromadas of Nikopol, Chervonohryorivka, and Markhanets in the Dnipropetrovsk Oblast. Over 60 rockets struck the communities, knocking out water to 45,000 households. Engineers were already working to repair the damage. Moving on to the Russian front, Russian state media repeated reports that the two areas of the Kerch Bridge destroyed in an explosion will be back in service on December 20th, and that total repairs will be completed by March 2023. This counters an earlier report that final repairs to the railroad section won't be done until September 2023 due to significant structural damage to the bridge deck, tracks, and supports. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine, today by way of a special assessment. Russia and Ukraine now have tens of thousands of troops and their supporting equipment released to send to different axes. The question becomes, where will these troops go, and can Russia retake the initiative on any front? Let's dive into some of the options for Russia as we see them. Option A. Operational pause until spring. We consider this the least likely outcome for Russian troops. After the capture of Severodonetsk and Lysychansk in early July, the Russian Federation announced an operational pause, but it wasn't meaningful. We maintain that neither belligerent will pause over the winter and consider the New York Times report claiming fighting won't resume for six months as outright wrong. Option B. Advance on Orekhiv or Juliapola in an attempt to capture northern Zaporizhia. We consider this an unlikely scenario for several reasons. The loss of western Kherson puts a lot of this region within the range of HIMARS, and Ukraine has done extensive suppress-and-destroy enemy air defense in this region. Ukraine has also built extensive static defenses, and existing Russian troop strength along the Zaporizhia axis is relatively weak compared to other fronts. Option C. Advance on Vulidar to create a safe corridor on the land bridge between Donetsk and Crimea. We consider this a possible scenario. Russia has not been able to draw many benefits from the capture of Mariupol and the land connection between the Crimean Peninsula and Donetsk. 
In some areas, the ground line of communication comes within 5 to 10 kilometers of the line of conflict, making it a dangerous journey. Russian engineers have not been able to use a railroad connection on the land bridge for similar reasons, which would dramatically improve Russian logistics. Option D. Advance from Donetsk to encircle and capture Avdiivka and drive to capture the rest of the Donetsk Oblast. We consider this a very likely scenario. With support from Russia, the First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic has tried to capture Adyevka and Marinka for eight years. The areas west of there are difficult to defend, and Ukraine has extensive and battle-tested defenses. Breaking through those defensive lines would put Russian troops in a better position to advance deeper into Donetsk as spring weather approaches. Option E. Support PMC Wagner with the capture of Solidar and Bakhmut. We consider this a possible scenario. Yevgeny Prigozhin has stated he prefers for his units to work independently due to logistical and operational differences with regular Russian forces and their proxy forces from the DNR, Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, and Chechen forces. Less than two months ago, PMC Wagner forces got into a firefight against Russian Spetsnaz attached to the GRU. Prigozhin holds growing power in the Kremlin and Russia, and having Russian troops assist in capturing Bakhmut and Solidar is not politically expedient. Option F. Recapture Liman and push to Izum to attempt and rebuild the northern pincer to capture Donetsk. We consider this an unlikely scenario. Russian military doctrine has demonstrated a preference to attack strongholds head-on and concentrate firepower in a smaller area. This would require reopening an entirely new front into unfavorable terrain where there is a strong Ukrainian presence. Option G. Spread the forces along multiple axes to increase pressure on Ukrainian troops and capitalize on weaknesses. We consider this an unlikely scenario because it doesn't align with Russian Federation military doctrine and won't help secure Kremlin goals faster. In our final assessment... We believe that an advance on Vuladar or the encirclement of Avdiivka is the most likely scenario. Both help support the Kremlin's goal of capturing the Donetsk Oblast. An advance in the direction of Vuladar would aid in encircling Avdiivka and vice versa, and pushing Ukrainian forces out of their defensive positions in either location would force them into unfavorable terrain. Speaking of defensive, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Just days after permitting the retreat from Kherson, Russian President Vladimir Putin canceled his monthly press conference with no reason given. The Kremlin would not confirm if Putin will still hold the next conference in December. The Russian leader has held a monthly press conference since 2012, so the abrupt cancellation has raised eyebrows. Putin has been under fire from Russian state media and close allies after the Kherson withdrawal. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is some graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. A very graphic video created by PMC Wagner was circulating on Russian channels showing the execution of a convict mercenary with a sledgehammer. In the video, the man claims, after being captured by Ukrainian forces, 
that he wanted to fight for Ukraine and was then moved into a Ukrainian unit. By some accounts, it is claimed he was returned to Russian troops as part of a prisoner-of-war swap. His death video claims he was knocked out while in Kiev and awoke in, quote, this basement. PMC Wagner claims he was executed in accordance with the rules of the military company using so-called traditional methods. After he calmly finished a prepared statement, he was struck in the temple with a sledgehammer and again in the face. During an interview, PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin was asked about the video. He stated he watched and enjoyed it, admitting to its authenticity. We don't question the video's authenticity or the mercenary's execution carried out because he was deemed a traitor. We doubt that PMC Wagner units are forward deployed with an executioner's sledgehammer simply because it's impractical. Prigozhin has repeatedly stated on the record that traitors and cowards are shot. It is also unclear how the mercenary ended up back with Wagner. Soldiers in the Free Russia units must undergo an approximately six-week training program before being sent to the front and don't fight in mixed units. It is even less likely that a Russian prisoner of war was walking the streets of Kiev. In our final assessment, the sledgehammer execution was done as a warning to others due to its barbarity. It also raises the critical question, if PMC Wagner can do this to their own, what are they doing to Ukrainian prisoners of war? Ukrainian war crimes investigators have uncovered two torture chambers and a mass gravesite in recently liberated Snihurivka. Local residents reported that the screams of torture victims were so loud and frequent at one location that people moved out of area apartments to escape the sounds. Russian forces retreated on November 8th and reportedly looted the entire city of anything of value. In geopolitical news, world leaders were arriving in Bali for the G20 summit. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov arrived and was greeted by a delegation from Indonesia. Ukrainian President Zelensky will be attending virtually and reportedly will ask for Russia to be removed from the G20. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan reportedly called President Putin over the weekend to express his disappointment that the Russian leader would not attend the G20 summit in any capacity. Erdogan had hoped that a dialogue could have been started between Putin and Zelensky to start to lay the foundation for renewed peace talks. Objectively, neither leader is ready to start negotiations, with both believing they can achieve a larger victory. United States Congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican from Georgia, renewed her calls for ending financial aid to Ukraine and for a, quote, full accounting of every penny, end quote, given to the nation. Her demands will be unlikely to gain any traction, even if the Republican Party gains control of the lower house of the United States Congress. The latest projections have the Republican Party gaining control of the House of Representatives by two seats, with a margin of error of plus or minus four. As vote counts continued over the weekend, the Democrats retaining control by one single solitary seat became an increasing possibility. In economic news, the ruble is expected to open stronger this morning with an exchange rate of 60 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices will open slightly lower, with WTI crude expected to start trading at $88 a barrel and Brent at $95. 
United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market will open unchanged, trading at $2.60 per gallon for November contracts. That's 69 cents a liter. Dutch TTF gas futures for December 2022 remained volatile and were trading up almost 10 percent at 107 euros per megawatt hour. January 2023 contracts also climbed sharply to 114 euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures continued to decline and were expected to open around $8.07 a bushel for March 2022 contracts. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.